Nintendo. Another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Viz talking the world of Hawkeye football with you. Basketball on the horizon. We're still a little ways before we get into that. We're going to talk about a top five football team again as they get it done this week against Colorado State 24-14. Biz, not the prettiest of performances, but got to win your clunkers, as our guys like to say over at the Solid Verbal. That was a clunker on Saturday. Yeah, the, the performance wasn't glorious, Trent, but let's look big picture first. What a glorious, glorious Saturday to be an Iowa football fan. So you get an Iowa W, but on top of that, you get losses from Iowa State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. And not, not just run-of-the-mill losses, Trent, <laughs> but uh, losses in, in excruciating fashion from all four teams. Uh, you've got Iowa State and Nebraska – apparently deciding that special teams just don't matter or that they don't need an actual special teams coach or to uh, coach up their players and special teams. You've got uh, Wisconsin, uh, another complete debacle from, from Graham Mertz. And then you've got Minnesota losing and was it the biggest spread loss in, in multiple years uh, and the boat sinks against uh, a Bowling Green. So, you know, big picture, trend. again, the Iowa performance, not so glorious, but uh, a great day to be a Hawkeye just in general. Yes, it was. Let's get into that great day to be a Hawkeye from what we saw from our team, and let's uh, get into it here down at the half, 14-7. There were those moments you wonder, is this going to be another one of those clunkers in Kinnick against a team that they should beat? But Iowa ultimately pulls away in the second half, gives up, what, 63 yards of total offense in the second half. They ratcheted up, and... Though it was a 10-point game, never really felt in danger that they were going to lose it in the fourth quarter, at least to me. How about you? Yeah, once we got up 21-14, I, I had no concerns at all. I just didn't see Colorado State ever being able to mount a serious offensive challenge against us. But believe me, when it, when it was 14-7 and we came out and punted twice in the second half, I, I was uh, definitely concerned. It's, uh, you know, and, and the concerns... You know, we talk a lot about Spencer Petras, and, and you know, in my section or our section at the games, uh, man, people like to bitch and moan about Spencer Petras, but uh, he was the least of our concerns on offense on Saturday. The uh, the running game and offensive line is an issue, Trent. Big time. And I think more than anything, it's outside. It's what they have at the tackle spots. I don't know if that's something that can be fixed. Am I going crazy here? Oh, honestly, I'm not sure. When you say it's outside, I think it's everybody except for the center. Uh, I think we've got four very average linemen right now, and it's not their fault. They're young. I mean, sure. we started the game. Our left ta- left tackle was a redshirt freshman, and our left guard was a true freshman. I mean, that's that's a lot to ask out of guys that have been in the system uh, two years or less. And, you know, Iowa football is not rocket science. When we have experienced lines that have been there three, four, five years, they're generally pretty darn good. And I think both Mason Richmond and, and Colby and, and DeJong, all those guys will, will end up being fine linemen. But uh, their youth definitely showed. And Colorado State, to their credit, was a really physical football team. They kind of used the Wisconsin playbook of, uh, you know, we're going to out-physically and, and uh, on the lines, at least their defensive line against the offensive line, they they won that that battle uh, more times than not on Saturday. I walked away really impressed by Colorado State. I uh, want to go back to what you said 
about Spencer Peters. I think everybody knows I'm not exactly the biggest Spencer Peters fan. I am concerned with some of the limitations that he has, but that was one of his best games as a Hawkeye. And he did, going into the game, what did we want to see? Shots downfield. Not only did he take those shots downfield, he connected. The Laporta pass, it was easy. It was wide open. There's nobody within 15 yards of an on the touchdown. But that first throw, and you could see even just coming out of Petrus's hand, even before on TV as I saw it, you saw that Johnson was getting by. You could just tell that was going to be a good throw. When he's got a clean pocket, when he can step up, when he can deliver in time, he can make those throws down the field. And they at least, they did that. And you saw how big of plays they were able to get out of that, generate out of that. So you kind of put all that together. I saw enough out of Petrus to at least slow down some of the hate that has been out there and some of the concerns that I had the last couple of weeks. It's there. It ultimately, as I said, it comes back to the offensive line. They have to give him a clean pocket. Biz, I got some numbers here for you from Pro Football Focus, and it's very simple. When Spencer Petrus is under pressure and when he has a clean pocket – With the clean pocket, he's completing 67% of his passes, 562 yards, four touchdowns, and one interception. When he's under pressure, though, these numbers are hideous, as bad as maybe any college quarterback at the Power 5 level. 10 of 27, that's 37%, 116 yards, 4.3 yards per attempt. Not when he's blitzed or anything like that, just under pressure, that is really, really bad. It's a pretty simple equation. Keep him clean. He's going to be all right. Well, and I'm sure the coaching staff knows those numbers, Trent. They're not, they're not oblivious to that either. That's why it just cracks me up listening to people get mad about the fact that he gets rid of the ball too quickly and is always throwing to his first read. To me, I would much rather he just throw to his first read and get rid of the ball than wait because as those numbers show when he waits and pressure gets to him, very rarely do good things happen because, you know, in addition to – what you just said on the passing numbers, we've also seen, what, five or six times where he's just held the ball too long and taken a sack as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm people better start accepting the fact that uh, Spencer Petrus is, uh, <laughs> again, he's not the, the biggest problem with our offense. They better start realizing that, you know, if this team's going to go anywhere, we need him to be – we need him to be the leader and the person taking us in that direction because I just think the fact of the matter is this – this running game's not going to come together over the next two two months. It's going to be inconsistent at best. So I think we saw the uh, we saw the future on Saturday, which is teams are going to going to force Spencer Petras to beat him, and if he can, we'll be all right. And you know, you take out the horrible decision on the interception, which was truly horrible. Obviously, you know, he he double clutched. He never should have thrown the ball, but also a really nice play by the D back. Outside that throw, he was really really good and. The other thing that you probably didn't notice on TV, I mean, on TV it looked like a beautiful, clear day. There was a pretty darn good wind. I mean, there was probably 15-mile-an-hour wind blowing, kind of a crosswind, and, you know, the wind just doesn't really affect his throws because he really, you know, as you know, he's got a cannon of an arm, and every one of his deep balls were, like you said, just right on target. So I, I saw a lot more positives than negatives on Saturday, and, and the fact of the matter is, hate him or love him, he's going to get us where we uh, – he's going to be the key cog going forward because this running game is just not going to – it's going to be a problem all year long. Defensively, good once again. There were some shaky moments out there. They had the trick play early that was wide open, and the quarterback just overthrew uh, 
wide open receiver running up the field there. Gave up some plays, had a short field after that turnover that you mentioned, after the interception, the long return that went along with it. But Jack Campbell, boy, he was flying around, and uh, how did he look inside of Kinnick? That would be crazy. Well, the first half, he was the only one. I mean, it was weird because I thought the first half, our energy level on defense was just not not what you come to expect. And fortunately, Jack Campbell was everywhere, but we just didn't seem to have that same – just energy level that you expect. The second half, man, they were unbelievable on defense. You could see it from, from snap one. Obviously, Phil and I assume Seth Wallace and others uh, lit into him at the half because they were they were a machine in the second half. Not just Campbell, but you know I thought Zach Van Valkenburg was was unbelievable. He, he was the one that got us kind of turned around because if you remember, we punted to the ten. He makes a five yard. Uh, they they run a RPO and he makes. A, tackle for a five-yard loss they get back to the five the next play they fumble and you know he was unbelievable I thought the whole D-line as the game went on just dominated the second half so you know kind of what you come to expect the first half was a few head scratchers but like I said by the time it got to the fourth quarter I had no doubt the game was over even though it was a seven-point game just because the defense was so dominant in the third and fourth quarters defensive line Van Ness I mean how this guy continues to do it undersized playing inside he gets to the quarterback all over the place. He's been playing at a high level. It's Joe Evans, Joey the Bull, four sacks on the year, 17 pressures. Van Volkenberg has 17 pressures. Van Ness has 13. All these numbers from Pro Football Focus. It just, we didn't think this defensive line was going to be, I thought at best, it could be okay. At best, it'd be like a B minus. It is so much further than that already this year. It's really exciting. There's so much young talent here as well. Well, we've talked about it in the past. The biggest problem that I with defensive lines in the past was always lack of depth. And right now, that's probably the biggest strength with this team because Colorado State, like I said, they pushed us around a little bit in the first half. In years past, I think the D-line would have gotten gassed and we'd have been in trouble in the second half. But we just keep throwing out fresh bodies. I mean, guys like Deontay Craig, I mean, he played a ton of snaps in the second half and was effective as well. And you said Van Ness gets in there, you get Logan Lee in there. I mean, it's just you can throw eight, nine bodies out there, that, that's a huge, huge advantage, and that's something that, uh, you know, it's a good luxury to have. But, yeah, they're, it, it's, it, it's amazing because I feel like we have the same conversation every single year. We go into the year thinking D-line's a concern, and by game four, five, six, you're talking about D-line being a strength. And that's a, a, that's a testament to our coaching staff because, man, they, uh, they've, they've truly had to reload every single year in the D-line. Right, yeah. Kelvin Bell, another former Hawkeye. You know, I talked about LeVar here a week or two ago, how he'd be a guy that's on my short list of candidates to take over whenever Kirk retires, a part of the, the current coaching staff. Kelvin Bell, too, what he's done, he's kind of bounced around a little bit, doing a really good job with that job with that group up front. Fun to watch, and uh, Iowa defense, it's right there. You mentioned uh, a couple of the talking points you want to talk about this week. O-line running game, we touched on it a little bit. You want to dig a little bit deeper here and, and looking forward. Goodson's a run, good running back. They're fine there. You mentioned you're not sure this can be fixed this year. Is there anything else, though, that they can do to unleash it? Is it more misdirections and counters and, and using the speed sweep and the jet sweep, using those more often? Is that enough with an offensive line that certainly is just not going to be great this year? Well, I mean, the biggest problem, I think, with our, with our offensive line running backs is that we really don't have that hammer, Trent, that can come in and 
wear people down. I mean, like you said, Goodson's a good running back, but for whatever reason, he continues to be very tentative between the tackles. He just doesn't seem comfortable and doesn't seem to be willing to put his head down and just take three, four-yard gains. So uh, I gave Statboy the assignment of, of looking at the, our second-half running numbers, Trent, because you know, just I know we've had big leads, and I know teams have stacked the box to stop the run, but, uh, man, have we been bad in the fourth quarter running the ball. You ready, you ready to look at how bad? Mm-hmm. So the four wins, again, teams are stacking the box, but the four wins we have ran the ball 45 times in the fourth quarter for a total of 81 yards. So you're looking at 1.8 yards a rush in a time when, when you'd like to think you know, you're starting to wear people down and you can start to impose your will. We're really doing just the opposite. 45 carries for 81. In none of the four games have we ran the ball for even three yards a carry in the fourth quarter. 26 of the carries have been for, for two yards or less, and 15 of them have been for negative yardage. Only two of the carries have gone for eight yards or more. So not pretty across the board. You've just The only good carry we had really at all in the fourth quarter was a 22-yarder by IKM in game one, and that ended in a fumble. So uh, of the 81 carries, there haven't been a lot of positives. So, you know, again, to me, that's, it, it's, it shows a problem across the board, Trent. You, you got a young offensive line that's really not moving people off the ball, and you don't have a hammer that you can you can go to in the fourth quarter to wear people down and, and come in and just uh, bang out those three, four, five yard carries. So again, I just don't I don't expect that the running game is going to get significantly better. So we're going to have to lean on Petrus. But the, the concern is going to be, you know, we've been ahead by so much in most of these games. You know, we've been able to play incredibly conservative. What happens if it's a you know seven point game in the fourth quarter? I mean, we're going to have to continue to be aggressive because, as these numbers show, we we can't uh, we can't rely on the running game to wear people down. Are we sure that Nick DeYoung's the best guy at right tackle right now for this team? It seems like Jack I'm, Jack Plum seems to me to be kind of the forgotten guy. Yeah. But end of the year last year, he played well. You know, he played – he started against Wisconsin. I thought he handled himself well. Um, but he – for whatever reason, he's clearly the, the number three or maybe even number four at, at tackle right now. Um, but, you know, to answer your question, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure we have any real answers at tackle right now. So, is DeYoung the best option? Probably. I mean, it sounds like we don't have any other options to consider at this point. You know, Colby, you can tell – it's early. He's a true freshman. There's a reason that only a couple of them have played offensive line of the Ferentz regime. You just kind of build around there. And you kind of wonder, too, if Shooter gets back completely healthy, he's good to go, and he's part and he's out there, and it's not a rotation. He's playing, say, 85 90% of the snaps at, at the guard spot. If that gives them a little bit more flexibility where they're able to work Colby more at the tackle spot and, and practice at that spot a little bit more. I don't know, just something to think about. But you're right, with Plum – surprised i was surprised we haven't seen more out there hey they know a whole lot more about offensive line than we do but just something to keep an eye on i guess going forward well it's a friday night football game i hate these things they suck ass but here we are once again as it will be maryland welcoming in the hawkeyes on friday night maryland well they got a quarterback they don't got much of a coach but they got talent that's something that mike loxley has always done throughout his career and you put stat boy to work this week well, yeah, I, I 
Jay, stop by a couple simple assignments, Trent. One being, let, let's get to know our opponent. We don't play Maryland much. much. Let's look at their history a little bit. Um, and then yeah, I, I also I can get some numbers on, uh, you know, how has Maryland fared against uh, ranked teams in the Big Ten? So uh, let's start with get to know your opponent. And I'll just tell you, Stat Boy's initial response to me after I told him to uh, send me some Maryland football info, here's his response. I'll read it to you. Maryland football is really boring over the years. So uh, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of names that jump off the page. So let's look at some some names here, Trent. Let's start with quarterbacks. Can you yeah. name, let's say, three quarterbacks in Maryland football history? Boomer not Sison, including the cur- current uh, quarterback. Boomer Sison. Correct. Frank Reich. Correct. Led one of the biggest comebacks in uh, college football history, and hmm, um. I can name two. So the, the all-time passing leader in almost every category is, is Scott Milanovic from the oh, early 90s. Remember there's that a good name? name, yeah. He threw for over 7,300 yards. Wow. A heck of a career there. So another one you should have gotten, Neil O'Donnell. Neil O'Donnell is uh, I didn't know that. another uh, relatively uh, well-known name. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. But uh, here's a tougher one for you, Trent. Can you name two? Maryland Terrapin running backs. They're, they uh, they do not have a, a long history of uh, of rushing excellence. I'll make this very succinct. No, I cannot. All right. they're, they're career rushing leader in almost everything again. It, it, career attempts, career yards. Uh, Lamont Jordan from 1997 okay. to 2000. He ran for over 4,000 yeah. yards. So. Yeah, that was the Frisian era. Yeah. Then the other the other names, Trent, you've got uh, – I'll read you the, the next five or six in, in order here – Charlie Wazaki, Steve <laughs> Atkins, Ty Johnson, who was recent, um, Lance Ball, uh, okay. Bruce Perry, Rick Bedejnik. So you, mm. not not a lot of uh, household names in the, in the running back category. Not a who's who uh, of college football. Yeah. So wide receivers, Trent. I think you can get lots of wide receivers for him. Let, let's say, can you name? That's four wide receivers. No, no, I got Stephon Diggs, and that's about it. Oh, you can come up with a couple others. Can I? Yes, there's, there's some names here. You should be able to get at least two others. Tory Smith, Jermaine I, Lewis, Frank Wycheck, Darius Hayward Bay. All of oh, them yeah, uh, yeah. relatively household names. Uh, there's your there's your five out of your top six in uh, career receptions. The other one is Jeroy Simmons, which I've never heard of. But the other ones. So, so wide receivers is kind of their uh, their strong suit. Can you name a single defensive player in Maryland history, Trent? There's two very well-known ones, actually. Yeah, who was the guy oh, 15 years ago that was a high draft pick? Uh, linebacker, outside linebacker kind of guy. Yeah. Who am I thinking of? Who am I thinking of? Why can't I think of the name? I, you got me. E.J. Henderson. E.J. Henderson. Won the uh, whatever the linebacker award. Blindikoff? No, that, that would be it. Uh, Bednar. Bednar. actually. And then the most famous one, you got to go back to the 70s, but Randy White. Randy White oh. was a, uh, a Maryland Terrapin. He's probably your most famous. Uh, and then the best thing about getting this info from Stat Boy, I don't know if you remember, but you talked about the Freegian era. Stat Boy immediately brought up the fact that Stat Boy despises Ralph Freegian. Yes. Don't know why, really. I think, I think it's a gambling issue. I think it came probably. back to a game a long time ago where Ralph Freegian refused to, uh, I think he took a knee at like the one or something like that. I'm sure Stat Boy can, can find the actual game and, and post it on Twitter for us. But his hatred for Ralph Regan has been uh, long simmering over the years. So 
So there aren't many people that dislike, you know, not many people that fear the turtle, but uh, that was one of them. He does not like the Maryland Terrapins because of Ralph Regis. You know, speaking of that, this idea popped in my head uh, just a week or two ago because when Friedgen had it up and running there in the early two, late 90s, early 2000s, looked like, all right, they're going to be a power. They and went of to course, an Orange Bowl, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, went to an Orange Bowl, won an ACC. They're playing at a high level. They won double-digit games back-to-back-to-back years. And during that time, it was going to be James Franklin was the heir apparent. He was the coach in waiting, but it started to go south, and they basically told Franklin, you know what, eh, we're get a clean house once Friesian's out of here. And, of course, he moved on. Just how different maybe Maryland football could be, because I think Franklin is a good coach, and he certainly recruits well at a place that's got a lot of talent. Maybe how different it would have been if they ultimately would have went that route. He's going to be the next USC coach, isn't he? I would think so, yeah. I think so also, but uh, you know, since we both guessed it, I'm sure it won't happen. Well, we'll get to that a little bit later on when we get to our picks, because last week well, we both went one direction for one game and it didn't go well, and uh, well, it, it was a rough week for me. We'll get to that here in just a little bit, but uh, anything else from Stapoy on the Terrapins? Well, let's talk about trying, the, 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 the million-dollar question for Friday. Can we beat the Terrapins? Okay. And honestly, Trent, my, my feeling going into this game is I have no clue. I mean, most games going into it, I feel pretty confident or I have kind of a feeling of dread. When it comes to Maryland, you know, two things. One, I'm sure, not sure how good Maryland is. Two, I'm not sure how good we are. I mean, I think you can make a pretty legitimate argument right now that we could be the third best team behind Arkansas or Georgia, or you could probably say we're the 33rd best team. <laughs> right. so, and either one, you can make a legit argument for. So, you know, I think Friday – the next two weeks, we're going to find out. Are we closer to three or are we closer to 33? So, but let's, let's look at kind of the pros and cons here. we got some stat boy numbers we'll get into in a minute. But I jotted down kind of three reasons to be optimistic coming in and three reasons to be pessimistic coming in. So you ready to hear my three and three? Yeah, let's, uh, let's start with the optimism. All right, so the optimism, Trent, we are 17-1 and one as road favorites. Since 2005. Wow. The fact of the matter is we've generally gone on the road and won the games that we're, we're supposed to win. Second, if you remember last year when we played the short week, I know you hate the Friday night game, mm-hmm. but you remember our Friday night game last year? Yeah, against the Gophers. Stomped the Gophers. Absolutely stomped them. So, uh, obviously, whatever we did last year, uh, copy, the, copy the plan and go do the same thing. Third thing, Trent, I mean, I just think it's just incredibly important that we've already got a, a good road win, you know, I know Maryland's going to be a tough environment. It's going to be rocking there. It's going to be a blackout. It's at night. But it can't be any more difficult than, than what they faced going into Jack Trice right. a few weeks ago. So, I mean, this team's already shown, you know, as we talked about, you know, defense travels. And so, you know, I, you know I'm cautiously optimistic we're not going to go in and lay an egg. I think we're going to be ready to, to play and we'll put, up a, we'll put up a good fight. The, the question is, I mean, is you know, a good fight good enough? Because I think Maryland's a good football team. So, you ready to get into the three reasons for pessimism? All right, let's go the other way. First one, I mean, this is pretty clear when you look at the breakdown, but this is the biggest game that Maryland's had as a Big Ten team. They just haven't had a lot of success. They haven't had a lot of reasons for optimism. Uh, this is the first time, you know, they are going to go into a game against top five team with a, a true legitimate chance to win, as we'll see in a little bit. So huge game for them. So that's obviously one reason for concern. Second, I mean, I think Tua's little brother is probably the best quarterback we may face all year. And if he, he puts up the same number he's been putting up, he completes 75% of his passes and 
you know, gets two or three touchdowns against us, he's a legitimate Heisman candidate going forward. And then the third concern we talked about earlier, Trent, but biggest concern I have, their D-line versus our offensive line. Their mm-hmm. D-line's already got 16 sacks. They've got some talent on the edge, and as we've seen, uh, talent on the edge has given us some fits. So, uh, you know, there's the three reasons for concern. So uh, what do you think? Are you, are you feel more optimistic or pessimistic after those three and three? Well, I, I remain pretty optimistic, but I do have concerns like you. You mentioned their ability to get to the quarterback. That's been big time this year and generating pressure. Also, Maryland, fifth uh, best defense against the run this year in the Big Ten. They're giving up just over 111 yards per game, but 3.4 yards per carry on the season. That's a little bit concerning when you look at that part. But my optimism, this is where my optimism comes. First, a number. Maryland, second most penalized team in the Big Ten. It's Mike Loxley. His teams are never disciplined. They're usually terrible, even if they have a lot of talent there. And he's just not a very good game day coach. So that gives me optimism, kind of those two things coupled together. And what they do best, yes, they'll go a lot of short routes, do those things, but they take lots of chances down the field. This goes back to the conversation we had against uh, before the Indiana game. You want to do that against a Phil Parker defense, a Phil Parker coach team, try to take shots deep, and that's a big part of your game plan. I will take Phil Parker on my side when it comes to that. So that's where my optimism comes for more a game plan thing. I think this is a game I was going to have to score. In fact, this might be one where the 24 under streak comes to an end. Offense has got to do it. Offensive line needs to hold up. And again, it very well could be another game where Spencer Petras, this might be one he has to win himself. I'll give you one more reason for uh, optimism, Trent. And these are the stat boy numbers. So the biggest reason for optimism, Maryland, I'm just not sure they're very good. Their numbers, I mean, I know they're, they're 4-0, and, but uh, you look at their history, and they are absolutely atrocious against ranked teams as a Big Ten member. You ready to hear how atrocious? Yeah, let's give it. So they're 3-22 and against ranked teams as a Big Ten member, but they're actually 0-22 against the Big Ten. They're three wins. Do you remember them? Three, three non-conference wins against ranked teams. Two of them are against the same team. For Maryland. For Maryland, yep. Maryland beat, they beat the same Texas. team back-to-back to start the year. Yep, they beat Texas twice. And then the other one was just recently as well. They stomped Syracuse when Syracuse was ranked, and then Syracuse went on to like a 2-10 a and 10 season. Mm-hmm. So 0-22 against the Big Ten, though. And not only are they 3-22 and 22 against ranked teams, 7-18 and 18 against the spread in those games. Wow. And 11 of those 22 losses, they lost by 28 or more. Listen to these scores, Trent. 52-14, to 14, 28-0, 59-3, 62-3, 63-3, 36-3, 38-3, 59-0, 52-10, 38-7, and 73-14. And the vast, majority of those, the vast majority of those have happened over the last four years. So I'm just not sold on the fact that Maryland has all of a sudden become a good team. So, again, should you go into this game and bet your house that the Hawks are going to cover the spread? Absolutely not. I mean, this is a game where we could, you know, go and completely get, get throttled because they, they've got some talent. And they've got, you know, they definitely have talented quarterback. They definitely have talented wide receivers. But like you said, I, I think I'm, I'm not a big Mike Loxley fan either. I, they're not a very disciplined team. I, I'm – 
after looking into things a little more, I feel a lot more optimistic than I did maybe a day or two ago. So Stat Boy's put me at ease a little bit. So thanks, Stat Boy. Good work out of Stat Boy. And, uh, well, good work out of you last week. You hit your picks uh, two out of three. The only one you lost was the Iowa game where you laid the 23. You are now 8-3-1 and one against the number. I, on the other hand, went an over. And now I'm under 500 at 5-7. Five and seven. You ready to go? I am. Let's start first. Iowa. What are we calling this? Three and a half? Is that the consensus number out there? I've seen three and a half and four, so we'll, we'll, we'll go three and a half, sure. All right. Let's go with the three and a half. We won't get a push if it comes to that. Hawkeyes laying the points in College Park. I, I waver back and forth on this, Trent, but I, I, as I just said, uh, I feel better about the Hawks after uh, looking at the numbers. I, like I said, Maryland 7-18 and 18 against the spread against ranked teams. We have done quite well um, and, and covered regularly on the road as, as a road favorite. So uh, got to go with the numbers here, Trent. Give me the Hawks, minus 3.5. Going with the Hawks, minus 3.5. This is one of the ones before the season I had circled. As I was W&L and things, I put it down as an L. And so we're going to go there again. Give me Maryland. I'll grab the points here. I'll dabble on the money line. I'll, I'll do everything. Give me the Terps and prove me wrong. Spencer Petras and company on Friday night. With that, we jump to the national game of the week. And this week, Biz, we had a couple of choices. We could have gone Notre Dame-Cincinnati. Weird point spread there. Cincinnati going to Notre Dame Stadium. Or Arkansas-Georgia. You asked me what I wanted to do. Arkansas-Georgia, This it's just so striking to see a point spread as big as this one is. I know that Georgia defense is great. Arkansas, not an elite-level offense, but they're really good defensively themselves. Is it currently 18? i, I got to bring up the current numbers out there because it's absolutely what? 18 and a half now. I mean, you could make a legitimate argument, Trent, that Arkansas should be a top three or four team. Oh, no doubt. Because, look, I mean, they've got their, their two wins against – are better than our two wins. Oh, yeah, I mean, better than Penn Texas, State's Texas two wins. A&M. Yeah. I mean – so, yeah, it's crazy that a team that probably legitimately should be top three or four is an 18-and-a-half-point underdog. I see. Uh, there's a 19 that just popped at Circa. I mean, just absolutely wild here. I mean, don't you just feel dumb if you don't take the 18-and-a-half? I, I don't – how can you come up with a compelling case for Georgia at that number after what we've seen from Arkansas? Is this thing destined for, I don't know, 30 to 7? I guess that's the yeah, way you do it. This feels like a Vegas nose game. Yeah. It certainly feels like uh, there's a million reasons to go to Arkansas, but the one reason to go to Georgia is simply the Vegas nose. So, but uh, honestly, to me, the bet, the bet this week in this game is, is the under. Yeah. 48 and a half. These are, I mean, Arkansas' defense is legit. They shut down Texas. They shut down Texas A&M. Georgia is by no means a dynamic offense, but Georgia – Georgia has an all-time great defense right now. I mean, uh, I see it being a low-scoring game. But the fact of the matter is, Trent, I've been riding the Arkansas wave for a long time. And do you think I'm going to get off the uh, get off the Woo Pig Suey Express at this point? You're, you're nuts. Uh, I'll, I'll keep rolling with Arkansas Alley and give me Arkansas plus 18 and a half. I, I know, uh, it's, like I said, Vegas probably knows, but uh, and I really like the under. But give me give me Arkansas on 18 and a half. Uh, Woo pig suey. I'm I'm jumping with you on the under. I will take that 48 and a half. Just feels like way too big of a number with two good defenses here. Unless there's some defensive scores, which could certainly throw a wrench into things. I'll go and I'm I, I think ultimately I'll probably play Arkansas this weekend. It just 
I don't want to be sitting there as the game's coming to a conclusion saying, what in God's name was I thinking? How about an 11 a.m. kickoff for that one, too? Noon, of course, Eastern. Boy, that one, at the very least, that should be the ESPN 6 o'clock game. Yeah, well, I think that actually probably help, helps Arkansas a little bit also. You get the early morning effect of, you know, everybody's probably uh, still halfway asleep and the crowd's probably not quite as rowdy as it would have been with the the, uh, 7 o'clock at night game. But, yeah, I mean, again, I can think of a million reasons to bet Arkansas, which means it's probably uh, the wrong side. All right, let's wrap it up here. Biz, you got your favorite bet of the weekend. What's jumping off the page to you? Well, and Trent, not only is this my favorite bet of the weekend, this is my favorite bet of the year, which means go run to your, your local bookie, sportsbook, whatever, and then bet the other side. Because uh, anytime I start to feel disconfident about a game, uh, it generally ends poorly. But uh, this line's either gone plus one, minus one. We'll just call it even, call it a push, Trent. But Wisconsin is, is free money this week. Everybody's down on Wisconsin right now. They've already lost two games. They are going to stomp Michigan this week. Look at the numbers. I mean, Cade McNamara has not thrown more than 16 passes in a game, and the two times he's played against teams that have an actual pulse, he was 7 for 15 against Washington and 9 for 16 against Rutgers. Wisconsin has an elite run defense. Michigan is not going to run the ball on on Wisconsin. I mean, they'll try. Harbaugh's stubborn enough. He'll keep hammering. But – this Michigan team's not nearly as good as people are pretending they are right now. And so Wisconsin's angry. They're going to be desperate. They'll finally realize that maybe we just shouldn't let Graham Mertz do anything other than hand off and throw check downs. And uh, Wisconsin, the best of both worlds in this game, Trent, because if I'm right, then I sound like a genius. If I'm wrong, Wisconsin has three losses, and they're basically out of the, uh, out of the Big Ten West race. So, uh can't lose at this one, but give me Wisconsin at even or minus one or whatever it is now. All right. We got you and Bucky Badger, and I agree with you. That's one that I had circled this week for all the reasons that you laid out. I'm going to stay in the Big Ten with my favorite bet of the weekend, and there are so many things that are pointing here to Penn State. I think it's an easy one, and I hate when it feels like an easy one. But after what happened last season, that first game against Indiana, was Penix in, wasn't he, on the uh, attempt down there on the goal line? The arguments will continue all week long. Indiana stinks. It's just a bad football team. I watched them a ton on Saturday night against Western Kentucky. I was in that game financially, and that's why I was watching a lot of it. They're just not very good. Penn State is. You could say maybe it's a look ahead with Iowa looming the week after, but because of what happened last season, I just don't see that happening. This thing, I think, is going to be a blowout of epic proportions here. You know, 38-10, something along that range. Penn State, you're not even laying two touchdowns here. I think you cruise in with the victory. Get on it now, because this thing's going to keep trending upwards. Jump on it right now. Penn State lay the 12. I'm going to... If what you just said, I'm going to wait till it goes the other way. It gets about 14. Give me Indiana. I, I, I think Indiana's... Uh... I just, I'm not sold on Penn State being the great team you, you think they are. I mean, obviously they look great against Auburn, but then Auburn right. should have lost to Georgia State the following week. So I think Penn State's a good team, but I'm not sure they're the uh, elite team that you're talking about. And I think Indiana, Tom Allen gets his teams ready to play. And you talked earlier about James Franklin being a good coach, and I think he is. He's a good recruiter, but I think Tom Allen's a better game coach than him. So uh, I'll, I'll disagree with you on this one, Trent. Right. I think Indiana, Indiana hangs around and makes it at least a uh, – if it's if Penn State might cover, but it won't be the epic blowout that you're predicting. 
All right, Biz. Well, you uh, shot a hole in that one, but you should because I'm five and seven on the year. You're eight, <laughs> three, and one. Listen to Biz, and uh, we will go this week with that. All right, Biz, let's get out of here. Before we do, each and every week, it's time for Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this morning, Trent, but there is a number one ranked Iowa sports uh, team as of uh, this morning's rankings. The field hockey team is ranked uh, number one in the nation, which leads me to a bigger bigger picture business beat, Trent, which is, has there ever been a better time to be a Hawkeye than right now? Just across the board, man, uh, Iowa athletics is peaking right now. You're talking wrestling national champs. You're talking the number one ranked field hockey team, men's basketball, uh, its best year in the an era last year. Women's basketball is ranked top ten coming in. Football is obviously ranked top five. You got a track team that's won back-to-back uh, conference titles. You got a baseball team that, that's peaking in the right direction. Heck, even a women's soccer team that won a uh, Big Ten title last year, Trent. So uh, we started at the beginning and said last Saturday was. Uh, a great day to be a Hawkeye, but let's be honest, it's just a great time to be a Hawkeye right now. A lot of wins. Winning, what is it? Win, graduate, do it right, and that's happening. Tip of the ball cap to Gary Barta because felt like for a while he wasn't going to survive everything that was surrounding him. And he's built a pretty good athletic department as a whole, top to bottom. You know my hatred for Gary Barta, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to say we've built this program in spite of Gary Barta. There it is. There it is. Vince. Fun stuff this week, uh, Friday night matchup, and then the big one, 3 o'clock with Penn State looming. Fox will be here for the big noon kickoff. A lot of buzz leading into it. Let's get a win on Friday night. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, we can talk about that Penn State game next week, and there's a lot of fun things that, that you know, p- potentially coming our direction, and, you know, there's that, that could be a, an epic game, but you could also be a, a real bummer if you go and get stomped by the turtles. So uh, focus on Friday. Go go get the job done out east. Uh, go out for a business trip and come back with a W. Talk to you next week, Biz. All right, go Hawks.